<laughs> um, so today's talk is entitled Recognizing the Times, um, and that might seem a bit of a strange title for this passage. Um, we're talking about, we're carrying on the theme of Jesus's Jerusalem journey, and we're talking about the triumphal entry when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. So I'm just going to pray. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to convey the very message that you have for us today and no extra stuff, just what you want us to hear. Pray that you would open our ears to hear that we might know you better and be transformed into the likeness of your son even more, that we might follow you more closely, Father. Amen. <clears throat> So, yeah, we're talking about Jesus's Jerusalem journey. And on this journey, as Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, and that's where he's headed, he's been teaching his followers about the kingdom of God, hasn't he? Um, you might remember that last Sunday, Dale talked about the parable of the ten miners, which he kind of renamed the parable of the servants, because it wasn't really about the money, the, the miners and the amount of money. It was about the servants and their hearts, and it was an illustration of the kingdom of God. So Jesus has been teaching his followers various things about the kingdom of God. And today, it's like Jesus' royal procession. He's bringing the kingdom. He's the king, and we're talking about a royal procession. And this is a really significant event in the Gospels. And one of the ways that we know that is because it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Not everything is told in every single account by the four Gospel writers, but this one is in all four. So that gives us a clue. This is really important. And what we're going to look at today, there's three things. In this passage, when I read it, it might seem like, oh, there's a lot of different things going on here. But I think there's a, there's a strand running through about the kingdom of God. And what we're going to look at is, firstly, a demonstration of the kingdom of God. Secondly, a declaration of the kingdom of God. And then a rejection of the kingdom of God. Now, I couldn't get all of them to begin with D. Obviously, that's because I haven't been preaching long enough. I haven't quite got that skill yet. So we've got <laughs> demonstration, a declaration, and a rejection. There's an R in there. Never mind. We'll just have to go with that. So as we're looking at a royal procession, I thought we'd look at another royal procession first, um, just for a bit of compare and contrast. So if this video works, let's have a little look. Bad guys with swords, 
I'm glad that worked. I don't have to sing it to you. Great, great. <laughs> so if you didn't know, that was Aladdin coming into the fictional city of Agrabah <laughs> as Prince Ali. He'd asked the genie to make him a prince. And so that was obviously the genie, Will Smith's idea of what a royal procession looks like. So we'll just keep that picture in our minds and see, is, is that how Jesus entered Jerusalem? I'm not sure. So let us read. Um, we're going to look at Luke 19, verses 28 to 44. It says, after Jesus has said this, and that was the parable of the servants that Dale talked about last week, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. As they brought it to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So we've got these three things, a demonstration, a declaration, and a rejection. And first of all, we're going to look at a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And it's like we're zooming in on the first few verses, verse 28 to 36. This is the section that we're concentrating on. And two things happen here that demonstrate the kingdom of God. And they're both related to spiritual gifts. And we had um, a great demonstration of a spiritual gift in our worship time this morning when Dale brought that um, tongue. It was a spiritual gift because it's a gift from God that's supernatural, that happens by the Holy Spirit. And we wouldn't be able to do it naturally, just as people. It's a God-given language. And there's other spiritual gifts like healing and prophecy when you hear from God. And their supernatural abilities. They demonstrate the kingdom of God because they demonstrate God's power and his ability to affect our lives today. He's not a faraway God that can't do miracles. He can do amazing things through us today. 
And they speak of his character and his power, especially to those who don't know him. You know, in the book of Acts, when the disciples went out to tell um, people in other cities and other countries about Jesus and the fact that the kingdom of God had come, they often demonstrated the kingdom of God by performing signs and wonders, like praying for people to be healed before they started speaking. So it was like, I'm demonstrating the kingdom of God, and then I'm going to tell you about it and what God has done. So there are two things in this little section that demonstrate the kingdom of God for us. The first thing is that there's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. So in the Old Testament, there's books written by guys who were the prophets, with a capital P. They were the people appointed by God to bring his message for the people. So they heard from God, and then they spoke it out, and it was written down for us in the Old Testament. And when these prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus... It shows that God has a plan, and he had a plan right from the beginning, and his word is true, and it shows that Jesus is the Messiah. The two that I'm talking about are both in a book in the Old Testament called Zechariah. So this guy called Zechariah prophesied, and one of the things he said in chapter 9 of Zechariah, it says, the king would come riding on the colt of a donkey. So when Jesus does that, it shows that he's the king, And it shows that it's part of God's plan. And also in Zechariah, in chapter 14, it says that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, from that direction. And that's where Jesus comes from. So the people around him, his followers, knew their Old Testament. So they would be thinking, ah, he's fulfilling these prophecies. He's the Messiah. And also related to spiritual gifts, Jesus actually exercises a gift. You might see it as part of the gift of prophecy, or you might call it a word of knowledge. Jesus hears from God and acts on it when he tells his disciples to go and get the donkey. He acts on what his father told him to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it could have been arranged in advance. He has been to Bethany before, so he could have known those people. But it's not like he could get out his mobile phone and say, oh, yeah, that donkey you've got, can you just put it by that fence and my disciples will come and get it? They didn't have phones. He could have arranged it in advance. But it doesn't actually say that. And the Bible is supposed to be easy for us to understand. We're supposed to be able to just read it and get what it says because it's supposed to be for people of all levels of education and intelligence. Like, most of it is quite straightforward. And it doesn't say it was arranged in advance. The way it reads is that Jesus knew that there was a donkey there somehow, miraculously, and he foresaw the conversation that would happen, didn't he, when he said, oh, if the owner asks you why you're untying the donkey, just say the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. That's like, that's a bit of a coincidence. So it's like he's exercising a word of knowledge. God told him that that donkey would be there. And also, The owners were okay with it, weren't they? They were amenable. They didn't, like, run after him shouting, thief, thief. Um, So so maybe God told them as well. And, you know, Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That donkey belonged to God. So if he wanted Jesus to use it to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy, then it was there at his disposal. Jesus didn't need a donkey to ride on. He could have walked. He walked everywhere with his disciples. But that's why he needed it, to demonstrate the kingdom of God and that God is in charge. And if you've been around in the church for any length of time, you might have heard stories from people 
who've prayed for something and then they've been given that exact thing by someone who's heard from God. And it's like, it's a bit more of a co- than a coincidence, isn't it? Um, Deborah was telling me just the other day a story um, about she was having a holiday to Australia and um, then God told her to put her money in the church offering. And she was like, actually, God, I really need that money for my holiday. Um, I don't know if I can give that much. And she had a little tussle with God, um, but she was obedient. And then she got to Australia She opened up her rough guide, which she'd asked her cousin to highlight bits that she should. And there in the rough guide was the exact amount of money that she'd put in the offering. Because God knew, he told her to put that in because he knew that he was going to provide for her. If you want to hear the rest of the story, speak to Deb. But I hear stories like that all the time where God provides exactly what you've prayed for. And the other person didn't even know, they just heard from God. So we have a demonstration of the kingdom of God there in two really significant ways. And then next, let's just zoom in on verses 37 to 40, where we've got the declaration of the kingdom of God. We can contrast this with Prince Ali entering Agrabah, can't we? Um, It doesn't exactly seem like a royal procession. It's a 30-year-old guy on a small donkey. There's no peacocks, there's no elephants. We don't have 75 golden camels. A donkey speaks of a different kind of king, doesn't it? I mean, I mentioned before that the disciples and Jesus, they walked everywhere. So you might, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking, actually, a donkey is like a step up. It's like a more uh, noble way of traveling. But actually, it really wasn't. It was like um, the poor, poor man. It wasn't a noble steed, was it? It's like a poor man's mode of transport. So it's not supposed to speak to us of royalty and grandeur. It's supposed to be um, a humble thing. But then we do get a little hint of like an act of reverence for royalty when the people are spreading their cloaks out before him on the road. Actually, in 2 Kings 9, it tells us that spreading cloaks out on the road was an act of reverence for royalty. And this guy called Jehu was anointed king of Israel by the prophets, and then people put their cloaks out on the road. So so we can see that that is what they... So it's like the people are getting caught up in the idea that Jesus is the coming king, the Messiah. He's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. And so they're laying down their cloaks on the road. And the other gospel stories also mention branches or palm leaves that they were laid down as well with the cloaks. And that's why um, this, this event is marked by Palm Sunday in the church calendar. And it's really significant in the lead up to Easter. So in the church calendar this year, it's the 5th of April we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. And this is the event that it's talking about where people recognize that Jesus is the coming king, the Messiah, and treat him like royalty. And also, they're literally shouting out, declaring, aren't they, announcing Jesus as the king. They're quoting Psalm 118, where it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying he's the king, but they're also saying he's appointed by God, aren't they? He's coming in the name of the Lord. So they're literally declaring the kingdom. And one of the other reasons it's such a significant event is that this marks a real turning point in Jesus's ministry because there's this open declaration that Jesus is the King and the Messiah. And he refuses to stop the crowd from shouting, doesn't he? He says to the Pharisees, no, if they don't shout out, then the stones will. Whereas prior to this, he's actually told his disciples to keep quiet about who he is. There's that bit in Matthew 16 where he's saying, who do you say I am? Who do other people say I am? What about you? Who do you say I am? And when Peter says, you're the Messiah, Jesus orders them to keep quiet about it. 
because it's not yet the time to declare it. And now, here it is. This is the time. Jesus is the king. The kingdom of God has come. And you might have heard the expression, it's come now, but not yet. It's like now and not yet. Jesus is the king and he has come. He did live. This event actually happened. Jesus came and declared himself the king. And we see signs that he's in charge and everything is under his, under his reign when there's healing and when there's spiritual gifts. But actually, we don't yet see the full glory of his kingdom, do we? So that's the not yet part. One day, Jesus will reign over all and be king on the earth. But that's not yet. We don't yet see it in all its fullness. So then we come to the third part. There's a rejection of the kingdom of God. And this is really what I want to concentrate on today. We're going to zoom in on verses 41 to 44. Because Jesus weeps. And when I read this passage, this is the bit that really um, kind of grabbed me. And I heard a lot about the, the rest of the story previously. You know, every year, Palm Sunday, we get taught about Jesus coming in as the king. But then this part kind of stopped me. It felt like it, was, it didn't really fit in with the rest of the story. It's like this triumphal procession, and then Jesus stands there. So they've like come up the hill, the Mount of Olives, and you know like when you come up the brow of a hill, and then you see down into the valley, and like there's Jerusalem like spread out before him, and it causes him to weep. And I really wanted to understand, like, God, what are you teaching us through this? Why is Jesus weeping? It obviously really affected him. And actually, in the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus cried over Jerusalem at least three times. This wasn't the only time. So he really felt sad about this. It was something really close to his heart. And it's the capital city and the religious center where the temple was. So it's where God lived. And Jerusalem in the Bible kind of represents God's people, especially in the prophets in the Old Testament. When the prophets talk about, oh, Jerusalem, they're talking about God's people and like the agreement, the covenant between God and his people and their relationship. And when we read this passage and it talks about Jerusalem's destruction, actually this was literally fulfilled about 40 years later by the Roman Emperor Nero, there was like an uprising, a rebellion um, against the Romans. And Jerusalem was destroyed about 40 years later. And so that's partly what Jesus was talking about. But actually, there's something that is really, really grabbing him, isn't there, and really upsetting him. And it's because Jesus knew that he was about to be rejected and crucified. And we know, don't we, that not everybody in Jerusalem rejected Jesus and um, his followers didn't reject him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, would we? Because the early church wouldn't have started and wouldn't have grown. But generally, there was this rejection by Jerusalem. He knew that it was prophesied in the Old Testament and he'd heard from God, his father, that this was going to happen. Jerusalem was about to crucify the Messiah. And there's this tragedy here of a lost opportunity, isn't there? There were people who could have received salvation and eternal life with the Father, but they were about to reject him. And actually, if you think about the crowd that were following him that day, I mean, there was no TV, they didn't have Netflix. So when something significant happened in Jerusalem, people would come out of their houses and come to see what's going on, what's going on. 
So when people were putting their cloaks on the road and waving palm branches, you can imagine that lots of people would come out to see what was going on, especially when people started to say, like, he's the Messiah, the one it says about in the Old Testament. So people would have come out to see. But then if you think about what happens within weeks, the crowds of Jerusalem come out a second time. When Jesus is bound and being flogged by the soldiers, and then the crowds start shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and they want Barabbas freed, a murderer, instead of Jesus, you can imagine that it might be some of the same people, can't you? Like the crowds of Jerusalem gathering. And so Jesus knows, doesn't he, that this crowd around him, blessed, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, some of them are going to reject him and shout for him to be crucified. And why is this a tragedy? It's a tragedy because God wants all to be saved. Like Auntie was saying, God wants us all to be saved. In 1 Timothy 2, it says he wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And it says Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Like it's there in black and white. He wants all to be saved. And in 2 Peter 3, it says he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. It literally says that. That is God's heart for his people, the people that he's created. And these people in Jerusalem, they'd heard the voice and seen the face of the Son of God. And they still weren't going to accept him, the Messiah, in person. So what would happen after his death? Those people who'd actually seen him and seen miracles and had rejected him. You can imagine that they weren't about to change their minds after he died, after they'd seen him crucified and overcome by the Romans. You see, the people of Jerusalem were so caught up in their own circumstances of oppression by the Romans that they couldn't see the big picture. They didn't have an eternal perspective. And this echoes back to the first preach in this series. I don't know if you remember it, but it was about the 10 lepers who got healed by Jesus. 10 men with leprosy got healed. And nine of them were so caught up in their own circumstances and their healing that it's like it completely passed them by, that they just encountered the Messiah. It's like, this is Jesus. And so nine of them like, just went off, oh, I'm healed. I can be restored to my community, to my family. And only one returned and received eternal life because he recognized that this was a moment with God. And the people in Jerusalem wanted a king who would lead a revolution against the Romans, didn't they? They wanted an uprising, a rebellion. That's the sort of king that they thought they needed. And when they realized that Jesus wasn't him, they rejected him. When he was taken prisoner and he was about to be crucified, they knew, well, this isn't the guy who's about to lead a rebellion. I don't see any weapons. No one's coming to like, physically save him and rise up. So they rejected him because they thought that was the kind of king they needed, but it wasn't. And Jesus says, doesn't he, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They don't recognize what's right in front of them because they're so caught up in their own circumstances. Do we recognize the time? You know, there's a limited time to receive salvation on this earth. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. That would limit the time, isn't it? When Jesus returns, that'll be it. Or when we die, like, that'll be the time to receive Jesus. That'll be it over. And we have an opportunity right now, right here, to be saved. And others have that opportunity too. And that's why we need to tell them. Because it's a real tragedy when someone dies without knowing the truth, isn't it? 
God created humankind to be in relationship with him, for him to be the father and us to be his children. But we rejected God and our sin separates us from him. We put ourselves on the throne, didn't we, instead of God. And Jesus came to restore us to relationship with God the Father. He paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross, the things that separate us from God. He took that away. And now we can have a relationship with God the Father if we accept this free gift and invite him to be our saviour. And that's called the good news or the gospel. And if you haven't heard that before or you haven't heard it in that way, I really urge you to seriously consider it. And you know, something really weird happened to me last weekend. I'd been mulling over this passage for a few weeks because I knew that I was going to be speaking about it. And I'd been saying, God, what about this bit where Jesus weeps? You know, I really, I really want to understand it. And God answered my prayer, but in a way that I didn't expect. So last Sunday, you might have seen me at the back. I was just weeping. I was just crying all morning. And people kept looking at me and going, hey. And I was going, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, with the tears streaming. Yeah, I was obviously fine. And um, <clears throat> I just felt a bit silly, <laughs> felt a bit silly that I was crying, because I didn't really understand why I was crying, because it was triggered by something that happened um, at the end of last week. You probably saw in the news that a television presenter called Caroline Flack took her own life. And for some reason, this really affected me. And I kept saying to Paul after I saw the news, I kept saying, I don't know why, but I'm really upset about Caroline Flack. Um, and I just kept crying and saying, I don't, I don't understand, I'm really upset. And then on Sunday morning, the tears just came, and I was just crying. And God spoke to me, and like through prayer and through some of my friends as well, saying, can I pray for you? Why are you crying? And I was going, I don't know why I'm crying. It's really silly. I'm crying about the death of Caroline Flack, who took her own life. But I felt like God say, said, no, you're not. You're crying over the state of the nation. And this is what Jesus did. And I could tell you about this passage. I could explain it to you and help you to understand it intellectually. But actually, let me show you. Let me take your hand. Let me show you why Jesus was weeping. There are lots of very confused, hopeless people in our society today searching for meaning, searching for success, fame, money, because they think that these are the things that will bring them happiness and fulfillment. And Dale reminded us last week that this is not a new thing. It's always been that way. Jesus felt that way too. He looked down on Jerusalem and he saw that there were people who were hopeless, who were despairing and searching for meaning. And God didn't leave me in that despair last weekend. As we were singing, we were singing songs about the fact that God is good. And God reminded me, those lines kind of just seemed a bit louder than the rest of the song. God reminded me, but I am good. So when I was saying, but God, you know, what, what has happened to Caroline Flack? You know, where is she? <laughs> what has happened to her? I, I, I don't know that, but God reminded me that he is good, and I trust that he is good. I don't know if he spoke to Caroline in her last hours, if she gave her life to Jesus. That's not for me to know, but God is good, and I trust in him. And you know, he's always had a plan. He has a plan for those people, and he's always had a plan, and his plan involves us, doesn't it? 
In Romans 10, it says, how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Well, we're sent, aren't we? We're sent to tell people about Jesus. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we're called to do, make disciples, i.e. tell other people about Jesus and that they can follow him and he can be their king. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we should have written to Caroline Flack or that we should write to the celebrities on the TV or people in the news. We start with our neighbours, don't we? The people that God has brought to us, has given to us. These are the people that we're called to tell about him. <laughs> so there's lots of ways that we can respond to this, isn't there? Because there's a lot of things in this passage. Are we demonstrating the kingdom? You know, maybe we need to pray for spiritual gifts. Are we demonstrating the character and the power of God to those who don't know him? Are we declaring the kingdom and praising the king that Jesus is, not the king that we think we want or need? Maybe we need prayer for revelation of the king that Jesus is. And are we seeing the bigger picture, the eternal perspective, or are we too caught up in our own circumstances and what we think we need Jesus to do for us? And do we recognize the times, like there's a limited time for us to receive eternal salvation? Maybe you need to pray today that Jesus will come into your life and save you. Or maybe we need to pray that we'll be better evangelists, that we'll be better equipped to tell people about Jesus, that they might find the hope that we have. So right now, I'd really like to lead a prayer for anyone who wants to accept Jesus as their king today. Anyone who says, no, I put myself on the throne of my life and I want Jesus to be the king. So if you heard that good news earlier and that was you, I'd really like you to um, repeat this prayer in your heart or out loud with me so that you can invite Jesus to be your king. So if everyone would like to bow their heads in prayer, that would be really great. Father God, thank you that you created me to be in relationship with you, for you to be my father and me to be your child. And I'm so sorry that so far I've not lived that way. I've rejected you and there's things I've done that have separated me from you. Thank you, Father God, that Jesus came to restore me to relationship with you. And he paid the price for the things that separate me from you by dying on the cross. Thank you, Father, that I can have a relationship with you. And I accept that free gift and invite Jesus to be my savior and my king on the throne of my life. Amen. And if you prayed that for the first time, I'd really love to talk to you afterwards. But right now, I'd really like us to respond by asking the Holy Spirit to come and have his way, do whatever he wants to do in our hearts. Because I think maybe there are some people that God wants to reveal this tragedy, like he did with me, with the weeping. Like maybe you won't weep, but I just maybe God wants to reveal to you what a tragedy it is that people are passing away without knowing the truth. And maybe God wants to gift you 
for evangelism, to tell other people, to renew that fire in you that makes you want to tell other people that they would also have hope. So if you'd like to stand with me, maybe Tim, you could do some tinkly tinkly, and I'll just pray. Thank you, Father, that you want all to be saved. And thank you that there are things you want to do in us, in our hearts, that the fire inside us would be set aflame, afresh. And so I pray, come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in us.